Thank you for having me, ladies. It is always such an honour to be able to be in different communities in the family of God and um, to share the word. And it's just such a privilege always. It is the passion of my life is to, to share the word of God and to see it transform people's lives. Can you give me a wave if the word of God has changed your life? Yes. So thank you so much. And I want to honour your senior pastors and for opening this space for you and for us just to have a moment in time on a glorious Saturday afternoon. Can we honour your pastors? Give them a round of applause. <laughs> and uh, Sandra, as she mentioned, we've known each other around the school pick-up and drop-off zones and around basketball courts and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I love the Stiller family. It had a lot to do with Mr Ben Stiller, who <laughs> heads up secondary. And, and we just love the Stiller family. And um, so, yeah, so here we are. And uh, I wanted to show you a picture of my family. Some of you might be familiar with a bit of my story. Do we have that media available? There they are. That was a few, that was like two Christmases ago. And um, on, on the left there is Maya. She's just about to turn 17. And um, she's got all of her 100 hours. Now she has to wait for her birthday. And um, I know, I know, I'm way too young to have a 17-year-old. I know, you don't have to tell me, I know. Um, then we've got Judah down here, and he is 11, and he's awesome. And uh, I was just at his basketball game this afternoon. Sandra's texting me, how are you going? I'm like, good, I'm just on the side of the court. And actually, they trusted me with the scoreboard today. <laughs> um, so that was my duty. Anyone else do mum duties all day Saturday? Yes. Sideline Saturdays, I call them. And, um, oh, thank you, thank you. Um, so that's Judah. He's awesome. He's really, really smart and introverted and deep. And his understanding of the kingdom and the eternal blows me away. It amazes me that when the Lord speaks to children, he's still doctrinally sound. <laughs> and I learn a lot from my kids then we've got little Jesse. Can you already tell? Okay, Jesse walks into the room and has everyone around his finger. And he's absolutely incredible. To Jesse, like two plus two might equal seven. And if you tell him that he's wrong, he's adamant that you're the one who's wrong. He's one of those kids. And um, until he realizes he's wrong, in which case he doesn't admit he was ever wrong. He just has a heightened sense of awareness and revelation now, and he's still right. So that's Jesse. And then Layla on the end is um, who Sandra referred to. She's in grade nine, and she's awesome, and she's good at every sport, and she's hilarious, and she's the polar opposite of Maya. Maya, who everything is black and white and straight up and down, and everything has a place. Layla's the complete opposite of that. So she bounces off the walls, feels everything 150% and can go from zero to extremely emotional in no time. And, um, but she's amazing and they all have an incredible walk with God. And there you'll see my husband and some of you know that in April last year he went home to be with the Lord. And after a 14-month journey with cancer, um, went home to be with the Lord. We're coming up to the one-year anniversary of that 
And um, so um, you may have listened to Deb's podcast. Can you just give me a wave? Who here in the room has heard my story or listened to Deb's podcast so I know who knows me? A few have. A fair few have. So um, make sure if you, if you want to, you get on there and have a listen to that podcast about my journey and our journey as a family and what God's brought us through in that whole season, which we're still very much in. And um, just being faithful in the day in and the day out of grief, which um, is it evolves and it changes and, and you just have to ride it. You just have to ride it. And, um, and so I'm not actually going to share out of that story because I'd love for you just to go and listen to Deb's podcast. <laughs> I'm going to share this afternoon um, a brand new message that the Lord put on my heart actually just over the last kind of 10 days. And, and it's probably just where I'm at now. And as I said, there are stages and initially, you know, the shock and the loss and what now and all those sorts of things. And now a year later where I find myself and I feel like the Lord is just sharing the next season with me and, and opening the next season up to me. And so I want to share out of that. And being women, um, it spoke very specifically to me about this kind of concept that I want to share on. And so the title of my message this afternoon is called Mothers and Midwives. Mothers and Midwives. And, and I want you to understand as I'm speaking this afternoon that I'm sharing, I'm really preaching to myself. Is that all right? If I just preach to myself and I have like 50 or 60 friends who are listening in, is that okay? So it's really exactly where I'm at right now and what I believe God's calling me to, but also what he's calling corporately womanhood to. And uh, we do live in an interesting day. Isn't it an incredible day to be alive? Like the world is completely upside down and back to front and it's lost. The world needs Jesus desperately, desperately. And the world needs the church to be strong. You know, that's not to say we're not going through our own difficult situations. But when, when the church gets wiped out, when the church is sitting in a corner rocking in a fetal position, what hope does the world have? And, you know, the, the Scripture tells us that if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is too small. Doesn't say you won't have a day of adversity and that you'll only be strong on the days that are easy. It actually says if you faint on the day of adversity, your strength is too small. In Jeremiah, it says if running with mere humans makes you tired, how will you run with horses? And the Lord is calling us to outrun horses like Elijah did because we're in the days of the prophets where the prophets have to get up and face Ahab, right? And say to culture, no, that's not right. And then outrun chariots. And so I believe that even in the days of adversity, that the church needs to be strong. And we are in the days of adversity. We are in the days where things are really dark and bleak. And I'm not the only one going through things. Every single person I talk to is going through major things. So I believe God's calling the church, the corporate church, every denomination, everyone I speak to, there's the same vein that's running through all of it. And he's saying, yes, it is hard and it's the day of adversity and you need to be strong. You are my church. You are my ambassadors. And you're not doing it in your strength anyway. 
You have access to a strength that the world doesn't have. That's why you can be strong when they're not. That's why the church does shine in the darkness because we have access to something the world does not and that is the Spirit of God. And so my first thought this afternoon is that our eye and our heart, we need to be able to get our heart around the concept of nations. I think when we're in the day of adversity, when, we're, when the rug gets ripped out from underneath, underneath us, we immediately turn inward and we go introspective. And it's a trap. We need to keep our eyes lifted on the nations. When God speaks to people in the word, he's always asking them to conceive bigger than just their own situation. In fact, the ones who only kept talking about themselves and their own need, God got very bored with them and the conversation finished very quickly. He was always talking to the people who could conceive something beyond themselves, who could think nations rather than just my own situation. And so we're called to conceive the concept of nations. Do you have a heart for the nation of Australia? Or are you just worried about your own backyard? Where is Australia in your heart? Where is the generation of Australians in, located in your day of adversity? In your heart? You know, in Isaiah 54, it's probably my life's passage at the moment. I just want to read a, a bit of it with you. It says, Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. Enlarge your house and build an addition. Spread out your home and spare no expense, for you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle ruined cities. I will teach your children, verse 13, and they will enjoy great peace. You will be secure under a government that is just and fair. Your enemies will stay far away. You will live in peace and terror will not come near you. If any nation comes to fight you, it's not because I sent them. Whoever attacks you will go down in defeat. I have created the blacksmith who fans the coals beneath the forge and makes the weapons of destruction. And I have created the enemies that destroy. But in that coming day, no weapon formed against you will succeed. I will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These are the benefits enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. We are called to understand that our descendants are destined to inhabit desolate cities. Our descendants are destined to occupy nations that are desolate and laying in ruins. We are called to be mothers of nations. A mother of nations. I'm talking about natural sons and daughters, but more so spiritual sons and daughters. Because it says there that the, the woman who doesn't have a husband or who is barren will have more children than the one who does have a husband or has natural children. So I want to talk to you this afternoon. Can you conceive in the womb of your spirit a nation? A nation. 
can your heart grow big enough to consider that you are called to be a mother of nations? Are you big enough for that? When I think about Abraham, Abraham, you're going to be the father of nations. God, how is that actually possible? I'm 100 and my wife is 90 and we don't have a child. Don't think about the visuals associated with that. It's not good. But God gives him Isaac at that age. And finally, after years of promise, it finally makes sense. I have a son finally. And God asks him to lay that son on an altar. Are you crazy, God? Have you forgotten the promise? But actually what he was asking Abraham to do was to prove that he was big enough for God to trust him with the nations. Sometimes we're so precious about our own that God can't trust us. We're so precious with our own backyard and we're so fearful of letting go or trusting God that he's like, well, if that's how big you are, I can't trust you with a nation. Are you big enough to understand that you're called to be a mother of nations? That your descendants are destined to rebuild desolate cities in the spirit realm? Don't you agree that this generation needs some rebuilding? This generation needs to inhabit the desolated cities. And it's your spiritual sons and your spiritual daughters that are destined to be able to do that. Yours and mine. So we're called to be mothers, mothers of nations. We need to live with open homes. We need to hold Bible studies. We need to train and develop the next generation. It actually doesn't matter how busy you might be or how tearful your heart is. Your descendants are called to inhabit nations. But someone needs to raise them. Someone needs to raise them. Live with an open home. Be hospitable. Be a teacher. Over the Christmas break, I um, opened my home every Thursday night to 20 high schoolers. And I handpicked them. I handpicked the ones out of the kids that I knew in the school. Some had attended my church. Some were friends of friends. But I just trusted the Spirit's leading on the ones that I identified had a fire, just kindling, just starting, little embers. And I brought them into my home every Thursday night and they sat in my room on the first night and I said, by the end of the Christmas holidays, you're going to be so on fire that no one's going to be able to stop you. And every Thursday night, I challenged them. We came around a book study. I taught them leadership. I taught them the non-narcissistic version of leadership. The sacrificial target on your chest version of leadership. Do you still want this? Yes, we still want this. And then I said, at the end of this six weeks, I'm going to let you loose. All I've got is six weeks, but you've got all of me for six weeks. And they came and gleaned and they were hungry and on the edge of their seat and they were set alight. You know, like the little chatterbox thing that you wind up and then you let it go and it, that's kind of what I saw, 20 of those. <laughs> I'm just going to wind you up and let you go. Six weeks, so easy. Order pizza, open a book, 
they taught me. I told them, you know, you're, okay, you're going to do it this week. You're going to do it this week. You have a chapter each. You're teaching the rest of the group. I really didn't have to do anything except open my home, put on pizza and challenge them and direct the conversation. It's so easy, but we disqualify ourselves. We tell ourselves we're too busy. No, you're probably just disorganized. We all have the same amount of hours in a week. We all have the same Lord who's saying, you're a mother of nations. 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 Open your home. Because there are desolate cities that need rebuilding in our generation. Desperately need rebuilding in our generation. And your commission to stretch out your dwelling, remember? Don't spare an expense. Stretch out the cords, the tent pegs. Build an extension because soon you're going to be bursting at the seams to raise the ones who will inherit the nations in the Lord. You're called to be a mother, mother of nations. We need our heart to get around nations. Secondly, we need our heart to get around generations. 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 Exodus 1. Israel is in captivity in Egypt and the Hebrews are slaves and Pharaoh notices that they're multiplying really, really fast. And he's like, if we let this continue, they're going, there's going to be like a coup. They're going to take over Egypt because there's so many of them. They'll outnumber us. And so in Exodus 1, in this time, Joseph and all his brothers had died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came into power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. And he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and they're stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us, and they'll escape from our country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down by crushing labor. Verse 12. But but the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them uh, to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless with all their demands. Verse 15, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. Can you say Sifra and Pua? You don't want to say Pua in a youth ministry, okay? The meeting ends there. He said to the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders and they allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They're more vigorous and they have their babies so quickly that we can't even get there in time. (laughs) 
So God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. The next thing he's calling us to do right now in this day of adversity is to be midwives. Your job and my job is to deliver our friends' babies. Your job and my job is to get around our friends and deliver the spiritual fruit that the Lord would have them deliver. Again, we need to enlarge our sights, lift our eyes from our own home, from our own situation, even our own children, and deliver someone else's child. Come alongside someone like Elizabeth who came along Mary and encouraged her. Like Mary who came around Elizabeth and encouraged her and their children witnessed to each other in the womb. That depth of connection with a girlfriend. Whether what's in me is witnessing with what's in you and I'm encouraging you and I'm committed to you all the way through the process. To the point where when it gets hard and you're labouring, I'm with you. I'm travailing with you. I'm in prayer with you. When it gets ugly and messy and you're screaming profanities, I'm with you. I'm with you and I'm travailing with you, delivering the next generation. Whatever is inside you, I'm committed to that. I'm committed to that and you can call on me when the waters break. I'll be right there. I'm not just going to send you a bless you, sister, I'm praying. I'm actually going to roll up my sleeves and get dirty and hold you and labour with you so that this child means just as much to me as it does to you. We're called to be midwives in this generation. Midwives for each other. I've had the privilege of delivering two of my friend's babies. One was a beautiful 10-pound baby. She had no pain relief. She only had two children. I said to her, you need to have like 10 on behalf of those of us who can't do that. (laughs) But I delivered another baby as well who was a stillborn baby. And labouring with those two women was two very, very different experiences. But it was such a privilege. It was such a privilege to stand with them both, to labour with them both, to pray with them both, to hold them both, to hold them both as though it was my own child coming into the world. That we look past the mess and hold the space for what's on the way. I remember um, I have these two girlfriends who over time, over 20 years, have just become the most, they've become my midwives in the Lord. These two girlfriends who labour with me, cry with me, stroke my back, allow me to be whatever I need to be and I am the same for them. And we have this tradition now, and I I let them know often that I am the youngest out of the three. And every time we have a milestone birthday, we do something really special. So for one of them, on her 40th, we did a cruise, the Pacific Island cruise. 
And so we have this tradition that um, every time we go away for these milestone birthdays, we sit together and, you know, over a week, right, you, there's a lot of conversation that happens between women in a week. Um, but one of the conversations every time is, what are you going to do between now and our next trip? Each one of us, and then we hold each other accountable. So I'm just going to do a shameless plug now, right? So I didn't come here for this. I'm just sharing a story. But on this particular cruise, one of my girlfriends, she was really sheepish, and she said, I have this idea. And she goes, are you really sick of, like, swimwear that doesn't cover your backside? <laughs> and we're like, yes, yes. Can I get a show of hands, ladies? <laughs> See? Amazing. She goes, so I have this idea of launching a swimwear brand, and I'm going to call it Full Bums. And my other friend and I were like, yes, you have to do that. You have to do that. And so this was like a February trip. By September, she had launched Full Bums Swimwear. And it's only like just over 12 months old. And she's already tripling what she made this time last year, right? But she did it with fear and trembling. And my other friend and I were actually on either side of her, laboring with her, travailing with her. And, and bringing this baby into fruition and then celebrating her every step of the way. You know, we have this group chat and she's like reaching milestones. We're sending her gifts and shouting her down. And, you know, we've got to be midwives for each other. We've got to be midwives for each other, which means we need to still our own agendas enough to hear that what's on the heart of the other woman in the room to understand that the role that you might play. And you know what? If you don't, that baby may never be born. That baby may suffer. She just needs a midwife. And you might be the midwife that God is calling so that the next generation can come. So the next generation can come. It's one of the most precious experiences to be given the privilege of travailing with another person. To come alongside and ache with another person in their plight. To stand with someone else. To lend another person your strength, your courage, your energy, your encouragement. When they're belittling themselves and they're going, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. You go, yes, you can. Yes, you can to lend someone else your strength, to see them without dignity and composure and still call them the hero, to see them at their worst and still champion them because you know what's in them needs to come out, not just paying lip service, but to really be the midwife in someone else's life. And I think, you know, in the generation we're in, and certainly COVID has taught us Stay isolated and to yourself and protect yourself. That is so anti-kingdom. It's so anti-kingdom. In the kingdom of God, we're interconnected. We're interdependent. We're relying on each other. We are connected. There's no such thing as social distancing in the kingdom of God. We're actually right up in each other's grill. Like, that's the kingdom of God. I'm so involved in, with you and so interconnected that I don't know where you start and I end. 
My kids are your kids. Your kids are my kids. Your call is my call. My call is your call. And I'm that committed to you. I'm your midwife and you're mine. We're called to be mothers and midwives. Because Genesis 3, we look at the story of Eve. And I'll finish on this. Eve has eaten the apple. She's offered it to Adam. Adam's eaten the apple. And the Lord comes and he says to Eve in Genesis 3, 13 to 15, what have you done? Will the serpent deceive me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. Then the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Verse 15, this is what I want you to hear this afternoon. I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, because he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The final point this afternoon is you and I must remember, it was actually never about us anyway. It was always about the seed. remember when Sam went home. I never go on Facebook. I feel like Facebook is the cesspool of society. (laughs) But I knew beautiful people would have been sending me wishes. And so out of courtesy, I put myself on there and I had a look and I was just responding and engaging with the love that I was being offered. And as I was scrolling through the comments, there was one particular comment that caught my eye. And the reason it caught my eye is because it was from a person who wasn't a very nice person. And it hurt my heart. And I had not had connection with this person for years and years and years. And so, you know, you do the stalk. So I clicked on his profile and followed him through and found that in the course of time he'd married and he'd had children and he was commenting on my loss. And I remember that day going, well, that's why I don't have Facebook, no. (laughs) Actually, I just lay down on the floor in the presence of God weeping and my prayer was, God, why? How is this fair? How is it fair that my amazing husband is gone and my children don't have a father and I don't have a husband. But that person can go on living his life. How is that fair? And as I was pouring my heart out to the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord said to me, because it was never about Sam and it was not about you. It was always about your seed. And it's always about the seed. And the reason that the enemy will try to limit us is because of what happened in Eden. Our seed, and we know he's talking about Jesus here, but it's true still with our seed if we raise them right. They'll crush his head. He doesn't want you to be a mother or a midwife. And he will do everything he can to stop you from being a mother or a midwife because he knows his own fate. He knows his own destiny and the threat that you represent to him.
So I want to ask you this afternoon, if you could all stand to your feet. In a moment of reflection... Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment? If you want to stretch your hands out like you're receiving a word or whatever you feel comfortable doing. The Bible says that the enemy roams around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. It says that the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy But I, Jesus, have come that you might have life and life to the full, life and life more abundant. I want to ask you this afternoon, have you given the enemy too much room in your life? Is he limiting you? Does he believe in your destiny more than you do? Does he believe in your dynamic ability in the Spirit of God? Does he believe in that more than you do? Is he more aware and is that why he's been so active? I would love this afternoon to wake your spirit, to realise your descendants are called to inhabit desolate cities and rebuild ruins. I'd love to awaken you this afternoon. To see the beauty that's on the inside of your girlfriends. Celebrate that and bring it. Bring it forth with them. To be a midwife. To be a mother. When Sam went home to be with the Lord... I had to wrestle with so many questions. Some people told me to take three months off. (laughs) I wrestled with the question of what do I do now? And when I considered all my options, I realised that to walk away from the church would give the enemy exactly what he wanted. He might have had a hand in the situation with Sam, but it would end there. And I would not agree to fainting in the day of adversity that I would call on the strength of the Lord so that I could have big strength, not small strength. That I could be Elijah who stands in the face of Ahab and then runs faster than his chariots. So that Ahab and Jezebel won't have their way. So the enemy won't have his way. So I wanna ask you this afternoon, Do you believe me? Do you believe me that you are dynamite in the hands of God? Do you believe me that you're bigger than you've given yourself permission to be? 
do you believe me that the spiritual call on your life impacts nations and generations? As small and inadequate and broken as you might feel, in the hands of an almighty God, you are dynamite. You are powerful. You are called and you are anointed. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Lord, I just pray this afternoon, this room of women before me, your daughters, your daughters. Lord, you are intimately involved in every detail of every life in this room. You're connected to their families and their friends. You know everything. You know everything. I don't know any of it. You know all of it. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you'd breathe fresh vision and fresh conviction and fresh revelation right now across this room. And that in this room, there'd be a group of women who may be shaking in their boots, but they say yes to your call. Who may feel inadequate, who may have a thousand excuses, why not? But they will just say yes. And that they'd structure their lives, they'd structure their hearts, they'd structure their responses to be able to facilitate the call that you're speaking to them this afternoon. Father, I pray that they'd be so present in today on your behalf in this generation, in this nation. Father, I pray that you'd lift their eyes to see beyond the circumstances, to see beyond the challenges, the inadequacies, the excuses, and see what is at stake and see what is their inheritance and what is their call. Father, I pray for sons and daughters in this room. Father, represented by this, these women, spiritual sons and daughters, natural sons and daughters. We speak into the generations right now and we declare a harvest in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that the harvest is right, but the laborers are few. So pray for the laborers. And today I'm praying over the laborers to go into the harvest, to understand the part that they play in the field that you've put them in, that they'd be the faithful field workers in the field of the Lord that's been entrusted to them. Father, I thank you for our harvest and we call it in. I pray for strength and revelation. I pray for blessing. Father, I pray for a great, great harvest of souls. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Hope Community Podcasts. We hope you enjoyed today's message and remember to subscribe to the channel to keep up to date. From everyone here at Hope Community, have the best week.